So we want to move on to our message. <clears throat> uh, we're picking up our journey with Jesus. Uh, remember last week he was at the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem, and he was there, it was in the fall. Um, at the end of his uh, teaching, he uh, made a point to the Pharisees that if any man come to him and believe in him, he will have that living water permanently, eternally. And he had been uh, at the Passover six months prior to that. And today we're going to be kind of finishing up his time at the temple on this uh, feast. And after this time, he will return back up north to his hometown area of Galilee and Nazareth, Capernaum, and be up there for a while, and then we will pick up where he starts his final journey down to Jerusalem. I put this map up here, uh, probably a little bit hard to see because it's kind of hard to get the whole country in on uh, one slide, but um, you can just kind of see that down at the bottom here is Jerusalem and Bethany, Jericho, and Galilee's up there, and the woman at the well over here, and so he was going back and forth traveling this area, sharing the word of God and revealing himself to him. Do you know about how long that would take or how many miles? I don't... It took, it was about a three-day journey. Okay. Um, you know, it might, might creep over into the fourth day. If, if you went up and down the Jordan River uh, Trail, it was pretty reasonable to make it in three days. And they had common stopping points. Uh, you'll remember from the story of the woman at the well, um, he went a little different journey, and then he got sidetracked because he stayed there a couple more days, went into town, and shared the gospel. And so um, that time took him a little bit longer, but because he was staying around, hanging out with people. Okay. I think I read somewhere that they traveled somewhere around 50 miles a day by foot. Is that accurate? How many? 50? Close to 50? Um, I don't know. That'd be stretching it. I think it's about 90 miles from the, up there in Galilee down to Jerusalem. I was like, man, I tried walking from Durango to Pagosa, and it don't take one day. And I was like, yeah. three days? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so if you'll turn with me to John chapter 8, and we're going to begin with verse 12. We're, we're uh, picking up in his uh, teaching there at the tabernacle or the temple. Verse 12, then Jesus again spoke to them saying, so he's, he's speaking uh, to the crowd, in particular the Jews, they were there because it was the feast time, so they would come up to Jerusalem for the feast and Obviously, there had to be some Gentiles there as well. Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus saying that to the Jews is, is kind of shocking. Um, basically, he's, he's saying... Uh, I'm the light. In other words, you know, the I, I am the light, not the sun or your candles. I am the light of the world. And I will help you see. If you believe in me, 
your eyes will be opened. You will see, you will have spiritual insight and understanding. It's also um, kind of a, uh, a touch on the Jewish uh, rituals that they had in the temple. You know, they would have uh, candles in there and they would have one candle and the light would be on. So they had these rituals of the candles and the lights and the menorah. And so Jesus is putting himself above that. You know, these, these are things that um, you do because it's supposed to let you know of who is coming in the future. And here I am, Jesus. I'm the light of the world. He who believes in me will have the light of life. Um, we read in John chapter 1 how Jesus is uh, the creator of life. And in him, we have life. He who lives in me is greater than he who lives in the world. So isn't this just another where people argue that Jesus never declared he was the Son of God? Yeah. His well, deity isn't, isn't right there would be a statement that everybody in that synagogue would have understood of him saying, I am, I am, I am the Son of God, I am in the Godhead. Well, he will go through that a few more times in this chapter. And uh, in these chapters before and after, he says it multiple times. And in fact, he even gets frustrated with him and says, how many times different ways do I have to tell you before you get it? All right, well, continuing on, uh, verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered and said, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I'm not judging anyone, but even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I am the Father who sent me. Verse 17, even in your law it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So here again, he's expanding on this um, principle that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Um, so when he says, uh, if he's testifying by himself, I can't do that because I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me. I can't do it separately. Um, there's this thing about um, he says, in your law, you have to have two or three testify about a matter for it to be true. And he, So he, this is an Old Testament Mosaic law um, principle. And so the Jews should understand this. And Jesus is throwing it back to them. And if you want to keep your finger here, we're just going to read those scriptures in Deuteronomy. Turn to Deuteronomy. Um, we'll be in chapter 17 first. I just want to travel back to where we see the root of this scripture given because I think it uh, helps uh, enlighten us on this scripture. It helps us begin to understand that um, hard to understand concept of the Trinity. Deuteronomy 17, verse 6. On the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, he who is to die shall be put to death. He shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. 
the hand of one of the witness shall be against him first to put him to death and afterward the hand of all the people. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. So God gave them this law that you cannot enact justice. You can't make a decision without having at least two or three witnesses. And this, there was a purpose in that, and that was to keep um, the tribe, the congregation safe from one person taking over and being a despot or a cult leader. Um, chapter 19, verse 15. Kind of repeats it in a little different um, perspective. Chapter 19, verse 15. A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. So, we're familiar, we're somewhat familiar with this, some of us more so than others, if you've been to court and you've had witnesses that got called to show you, to uh, testify to whatever you were being accused of, or witnesses <coughs> on your behalf. And so it's a, it's a principle that our country is built on, that we have witnesses um, that can be called to testify one for another. But isn't it also a, or uh, I don't know if it's really foreshadowing, it's, a right word, but it's of the Trinity, right? Yeah. It's the final judgment happens by the Trinity of, you know, God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And you have to have those three in one for the final judgment of yeah. the earth. And, and moreover, even where we're at in the story here is that's why Jesus is saying, what I say is true because I have witnesses. And he's the only one, and, he, and it also foreshadows the spiritual death. If you don't believe in him and his father, then you will be put to spiritual death, which in that first Deuteronomy is describing only two or three witnesses can cause the death penalty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, this also has another uh, very real-world application for us, um, New Testament Christians in the church, and that is in Matthew 18, it says that if uh, someone sins against you, <clears throat> you're to go to them and talk to them um, and try to win them over. And you do it quietly and privately. You don't make a big show out of it. And if you haven't won them over, if there's still disagreement, then you bring a couple witnesses with and you try it again. So having those witnesses is important. It's critical. And then if... If that doesn't work out, then you bring it before the church. So if uh, you know, you're know you feeling like somebody in the church has sinned against you, you don't come talking to the church first. You go and you try to quietly win them over. And if not, uh, without creating a, uh, a whole uh, mutiny by getting a bunch of other people against that person, you go quietly get one or two other witnesses to go with you and you talk it over. And that's why this whole thing about two or three witnesses for the testimony is so important. And it's how we protect ourselves. It's how we keep ourselves as a body and a family uh, whole. Um, where did I leave off? Verse 19. So they were saying to him, because he said, my father, that they were saying to him, where is your father? 
But instead of just listening and learning, they just keep fighting with him, don't they? Where is your father? That, that's not a genuine question. That's a taunting question. And Jesus answered, because he knows this, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in tre- the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one sees him because his hour had not yet come. So Jesus is the one that is revealing to us the Father. He came in the flesh to reveal the invisible God, the Father. So we must know Jesus to know the Father. We must know the Father to know Jesus. His hour had not yet come. This this phrase keeps getting brought up in his discussions. And as we talked about last week, this hour that he's talking about, that he's referring to, is the crucifixion. He came in the flesh to take on the sins of the world, our sins, to to die, to carry those to the grave, that we might be born again. So his hour was that moment when he's there on the cross. And Jesus said, there's certain things I'm not going to do yet because my hour has not yet come. For everything, there's a time and a purpose. 21. Then he said again to them, I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. That isn't a a real kumbaya moment, is it? No. But he's saying it to the Jews that would refuse to believe, that would reject Jesus as Savior. They're, they're taunting him. They're, they're fighting back. Um, they're calling him an illegitimate son. Um, verse 22. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, I am he. In other words, that he is God. Unless you believe that he is the Savior, you will die in your sins. This gets back to what we were talking about one another time. (laughs) The works that God wants is for us to believe. Um, it is a bit of a work. More so for some people and less so for others. For some, faith comes easy. For others, it's really hard. But it is the main thing that we need to do. Everything else is a product of faith. If you don't have faith first, you won't have these other things that God will bless us with, that God will call us to do. Um, so they were saying to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. 
They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as my Father taught me. You remember when Jesus was lifted up on the cross, the soldier that was there standing there observing, guarding, watching. After Jesus died, he declared, this is the Son of God. Jesus was saying, because he knew that was going to happen. It was going to come that time when I'm on the cross. Um, 29. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. So, as he's speaking this truth, declaring that he is God, and that you must believe in him, or you will not be able to follow him, you will not be able to go where he's going. And some who heard this message believed. I think the, the point there is, if Jesus speaking and doing miracles in front of people doesn't cause everyone to believe, we should adjust our perspective a little bit. You know, we're not going to save everybody that we talk to. So keep in perspective. Don't let that fact stop you. Don't let it ruin your faith. So, verse 31. Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word. So they had just, they've been hearing him, they came to believe in him, and now Jesus is saying to this this new believer, this new follower, if you believe in me and continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. We know, Jesus knew, that struggles were going to come, tests were going to come. Verse 32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him. We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been a slave to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. So the Jews were saying, Look, we follow the law. The law was given to us. Abraham is our father. We, we claim him as our forefather. And we... Uh, believe that God is God. He is the only one. And you were trying to say to us that we're enslaved to sin. That we're slaves. Jesus pointed out, well, you are slaves because you're slaves to sin. Um, this Let's, let's turn to Romans 6. Keep your finger here. Let's turn to Romans 6. This uh, graph that's on the, um, or chart that's on the uh, screen here, you'll remember that from a couple of weeks ago, where truth and belief overlap, and where they overlap is where we have knowledge, and then from knowledge comes wisdom. Remember how we 
took the truth bubble away. And when we take the truth bubble away, there's no knowledge in the middle because there's no overlap. And you only have belief. So you, we can believe a lot of wrong things, can't we? And if we are believing in wrong things, we are subject to slavery. We're subject to slavery, uh, bondage from sin, from Satan, from demons. Um, we're left alone out there because we have to have truth to be free, to be free. Are you there, Romans uh, 6? I want to read 15 through 23. This is Paul saying in his uh, um, logical questioning and discussion, What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? In other words, he's saying that we're not under the law. When we're born again, we're set free from the law. We're no longer under the law. But Paul is questioning because we tend to go too far to the other end of the spectrum. Okay, I'm not under the law. I'm free. I can do whatever I want. What then? Shall we say, shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? In other words, well, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I guess it doesn't really matter what I do. I can do anything and everything. May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. 19. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, which resulted in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard of righteousness. So we know this. We start with a, a small sin. Or we get into something just a little bit. And it kind of feels good, kind of um, appeals to the lust of our flesh. And we say, well, a little bit's not good enough. I'm going for more. More has got to be better. And so it draws us in. And then we become slaves to that. We can't escape. It, it controls us. But Paul is saying, well, why not present yourselves, your body, your members to righteousness? And if you do that, just like presenting yourself to sin, you will become uh, slaves to righteousness. More righteousness will be shown. More things will draw you. You will, you will receive more joy and benefit out of being in Christ and living in the Spirit and in faith, and it will draw you in more. So Jesus knows this, Paul picks up on this, he just teaches it another way to another group of people. But Jesus is saying this in advance, that, um, you know, I know what you do, and I know that you're a slave to it. 
Um, so they're saying, oh, we're not slaves to anyone. But Jesus says, aha, don't speak too fast. He goes on to uh, talk to them about how this slavery thing works. Verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I've seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. You remember back in Genesis how God made this covenant with Abraham. He was about 75 years old. And he said that you will have an heir, and through your heir and your seed, all nations will be blessed. And Sarah and Abraham got a little impatient. Uh, it was, took 25 years before they had Isaac. They got a little impatient, and they cooked up a plan to help God on his covenant, where they brought in Hagar, and they had a, a son from Hagar. Hagar was a handmaid. So this son was not the son of the promise. It was the son of the bondwoman. Hagar was essentially a slave in the house of Abraham. So the son was the son of the slave. And you know the story how Sarah sent uh, Ishmael and Hagar out, out of the house. So the slave does not remain forever. You're at the mercy of your master to be kicked out. But the son remains forever. Remember the story, the parable of the wayward son, the prodigal son. You know, he went off. But what about the other son that stayed home? You know, he wasn't too happy when his brother came back. And his, and his dad was throwing him a big party. And just gushing over him. And the son that was did all the right things that stayed home was wondering, you know, how come you're doing that for him and not for me? And the father answers, you know, you've been here this whole time. Everything I have is yours. You have been here. You will remain here. So Jesus picks up on this, and he's saying the son remains forever. How do we become a son, and I don't mean a male son, but a spiritual son, son and daughter. We get adopted in the family. We're not natural born into the family. We are adopted in. How are we adopted in? By our confession of faith. Keeps getting back to faith, doesn't it? Um. When, when Jesus says, you do, you also do the things which you heard from your father. <laughs> so Jesus is pointing out that maybe they have a different father. He'll, he'll pick up on that in a little bit. Verse 39, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children. Do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you're seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. 
This Abraham did not do. You were doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, well, if God were your father, you would love me. How can he say that? What is he saying? He is God. I mean, you can't love the Father without loving the Son because they are one. If you love the Father, if God were your Father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? I'll tell you. It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus is bringing out this point to the Pharisees, to us, reading this years later, that the one that we obey, the one that we seek, the one that we trust, the one who we emulate is our Father. And he's saying to the Jews, you, you are rejecting me. You are not believing on me. Therefore, God cannot be your Father. Your father is of the devil. Now, I don't think Jesus is wanting us to think that you're either a, of God or of the devil, because I think there's a, um, a category in there of people that um, are wandering. They're kind of ignorant. They're open. They're seeking. But they just, they don't, I guess you could say they're clueless at that point. And then along comes God's word through someone and can draw them into the kingdom, into the family. And that can also be happen with those that are under bondage to Satan. But it's through God's word, his miraculous um, setting free. So when you're set free, like if you're a slave and you're set free, you can say, bye-bye, I don't have to do what you tell me anymore, I'm free. I can choose to help you and serve you, but you can't force me. But when you're in bondage, let's say if uh, you're struggling with addictions, when, when those addictions tell you it's time to participate with me, you say, oh yeah, okay, no problem. I'm in. Aren't you following <coughs> and in bondage? So Jesus is pointing out in this teaching that there's two fathers. There's the Father in heaven, and there's also the Father below, Satan. And Satan is a murderer. He, he see, he's prowling around seeking to destroy and kill anyone he can that, he, that will listen to him. And he lies. So when you hear things... And it's a, it um, makes you question Jesus. 
makes you not believe what Jesus says. In other words, you say, okay, Jesus, I like what you say here, but I don't like what you say here, so I am not going to follow this part. I'm going to just choose to follow this over here instead. And this is a lie that Satan's given you. You're not free. Um, so he, he finishes up this little section here. He was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and a father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you're not of God. Again, it gets back to faith. If we will, by faith, believe on Jesus, then we will begin to hear the truth of God. Does that make, make a little more sense um, in our spiritual journey? I mean, he who does not know me shall not enter. Right? Where I'm going, I'm you like cannot come. My house either, you, you will know? die in your sins. But if the things of God are not making sense to you, whether you're reading them or hearing them, you know, start seeking God for who he is and, and let the Holy Spirit teach you. Continue on, uh, verse 44, 48. The Jews answered and said to him, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? <laughs> I don't know. I just can't imagine. Whenever I was walking in a world before I was born again saying that to Jesus, I uh, just can't believe it. Uh, Jesus answered, I think he's pretty measured here. I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And again, like we talked last week, we should not be seeking glory from people. Mm -hmm. taking the place of God. And we should not be giving glory and reverence to other humans. Um, if you keep his word, you will never see death. In other words, if you have faith in Jesus, you will never see spiritual death. Yes, we're all going to physically die. But those that are in Christ will have eternal life. A few more verses here, finishing up the chapter. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, you will never taste of death? Surely you're not greater than our father Abraham who died. So they think they got him now. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. And you have not come to know Him, but I know Him. And if I say that I do not know Him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know Him, and I keep His word. 
Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. That's the real zinger here. So the Jews said to him, wait a minute, you are not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Is Jesus God or not? He declares it. First hand, it's written down. Jesus was around before Abraham. In fact, he is eternal. He is not a created being. He, John 3.16 says he was begotten from the Father. He was sent. He was not created from the Father. Two different things. 59. Therefore, they were all clapping and shouting for joy. No, 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 no. They picked up stones to throw at them. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So here they are saying that, you know, Abraham's our father. We obey the law. We obey Abraham. And yet, they're trying to murder Jesus. I think that says it all, where their hearts were at. Do you feel a little um, compassion or empathy or pity for these who refused to believe on Jesus when he was so clearly testifying of who he is and why he came? Do you struggle with uh, how you feel when you want to share the goodness of God and the grace of God with people and they reject the message? You know, Jesus says, they're, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. They hate me. They hate you because they first hate me. So I say that in these, these times that we live in, we all need to really study. We need to sharpen one another so that when we're sharing the gospel with other people, that we can do it in a loving way, an effective way, and when we get uh, persecuted, that we don't let it destroy our faith. We don't let it destroy our personal ministry. Because as we read today, people will challenge what we say. People will challenge the Bible. They will challenge Jesus. David. I just thought that was interesting that chapter, in the end, uh, all Pharisees wanted to stone him. And in the beginning of that chapter, it starts with the uh, woman caught in adultery and that parable. Yeah. Yeah. He said, stone me first, or you have to stone me first. <laughs> Without sin, yeah. throw the first stone. Yeah. That's yeah. That's a, that's a great connection. I didn't uh, go through that particular part of this chapter because... That thing is a whole sermon on itself. <laughs> you guys have been here till tomorrow morning breakfast. But there is breakfast, right? <laughs> All righty. Well, let's uh, gather around and pray for one another before we leave.